Hello and welcome again to the Grattan Podcast channel. I'm Paul Austin, the editor at Grattan Institute, and today we're discussing the big issue of our age, really, how to fight the coronavirus, whether to fight the coronavirus, and the payoffs for winning the fight against coronavirus. I'm delighted to be joined today by one of the best in the business, Dr. Stephen Duckett. Stephen is Grattan Institute's health program director, and he's also a former head of the Federal Department of Health, and his writings and analysis of the COVID crisis have been in demand around Australia and indeed around the world over the past six months. Stephen, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Stephen has just published an important new Grattan report on the COVID crisis with the intriguing title, Go for Zero. And I want to get to that soon. But first, Stephen, the Victorian government has just announced its roadmap out of coronavirus restrictions. Stephen, can you briefly describe the Victorian roadmap for us and give us your assessment, good or bad? Overall, it's uh, it's good, Paul. Uh, Overall, it's it's going in the right direction. And why do I say that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it set a clear and unambiguous goal of trying to get to zero. Uh, the final stage of the plan is the so-called COVID normal, where they said they'll get there when we've got zero active cases in the community, which is absolutely the right goal. Between now and then, there are four steps of various levels of restrictions. Uh, and the good news is they've specified what happens at each step. And they've specified in a somewhat confusing way what the criteria are for moving from the first step to the second step to the third step and the fourth step. They've also got different uh, arrangements for metropolitan Melbourne and, and rural Victoria, regional Victoria, and that's appropriate because there's uh, the incidence of uh, the coronavirus in regional Victoria is lower than it is in, uh, in metropolitan Melbourne. In fact, though, you think the New South Wales government should take a leaf out of the Victorian book and adopt a similar roadmap. That that sounds a little counterintuitive, can I say, Stephen, because surely New South Wales is doing a much better job than Victoria in fighting this virus. That is indeed true, Paul. The, uh, the number of cases is in single digits and has been for a while, but getting from single digits to zero is hard. And you won't get to single from single digits to zero with wish, wishful thinking. You've actually got to do something to get from single digits to zero, and that involves some level of restrictions. And, for example, the evidence now is overwhelming that masks make a difference. People should wear masks, especially indoors, especially on public transport. And what's happened in New South Wales is the Premier has asked the population nicely to think about pretty please if they'll wear masks. And, you know, I think that the right answer is they sh- people should be wearing masks in New South Wales to help get from single digits to zero. Which brings us to your report, which you've called Go for Zero. You say the New South Wales approach of keeping new daily cases down, but down at a, at a manageable level, is ultimately a dangerous strategy. Why is it dangerous, Stephen? So what we know about this virus is that it spreads mostly through so-called super spreader events where one person spreads the infection to lots of other people. 
And so what we know is if we have a small number of cases, five this day, six the next, two the next, five the next, each of those new cases can lead to a super spreader event. And if you hit a super spreader event, then you go from six cases to 20 cases to 40 cases to 60 cases. And the virus can get out of control very, very quickly. So the, and the, the consequence of that is you might have to have more severe lockdowns. So it's far better to just uh, do some restrictions, including, as I said, mask wearing, when the numbers are low, to try and get those numbers right down to zero. So you say New South Wales, Victoria, indeed the whole of Australia should go for zero. What exactly do you mean by that, Stephen? Most of the states are actually at zero already. Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania, Northern Territory, Queensland to some extent, although it's got a bit of an outbreak now. So they're already there. And the other, especially New South Wales and Victoria, need to actually make explicit what they're doing and what they're doing to get to zero. National Cabinet back in July said we're aiming for zero, but we actually have got to do something to get there. And we also be, need to be pretty clear about what we mean by zero. What I mean by zero, and I think the, the right thing we should be aiming for, is zero active cases in the community. Now, there are always going to be some cases coming in from overseas, and so they'll be in quarantine and there'll be cases there. But we don't want any community transmissions and we want zero active cases. So there's no possibility of community transmissions. But you must acknowledge that the restrictions that you're calling for are very costly. They're, they're frustrating, but much more than that, they cause real and lasting damage, not, not least to people's livelihoods and their mental health. So what we do know, Paul, is that what is best for the economy and what is best for health are the same thing. The evidence from overseas, the evidence from modelling in Australia is that if you get the virus under control sooner rather than later, it is actually better for the economy and health. And just to give you an example, as I said, if the virus is circulating, bubbling along, and we know there's going to be an almost certainty of an outbreak because the longer it bubbles along, the more there's going to be a risk of one of these super spreader events, and the more likely the economy is going to have to go back into lockdown again. So what we what we then know is that we're, we're going to face uncertainty. Business is going to face uncertainty. Consumers are going to face uncertainty. Consumers are going to keep saving rather than spending. And so it's better for the economy if we can get this virus under control. There is also, we've got to acknowledge, that the lockdown is hard. It leads to increase. There's been an increase in mental health consultations with general practitioners uh, during the lockdown We've got to be concerned about domestic violence, alcohol and drug issues and so on. We've got to worry about that. We've got to put systems in place to help that and address that. But the reality is overall the balance should be to continue restrictions, not necessarily at the level we're at in Victoria right now. In fact, we're saying that should be phased down as it's it, when it's safe to do so. But we've got to actually continue to think about restrictions until we've got to zero active cases. But, Stephen, we, le- we, we live in a globalised world. How can Australia eliminate this highly contagious virus when it's running rampant around the world? 
Well, we're an island, Paul. We're an island. And so that means we can, if we control our borders and if we get quarantine right, uh, we will be able to stay at zero. And of course, in Victoria, we stuffed up quarantine something awful. And, but we have to assume that we've learned from that and that, uh, we continue to have international arrivals, but they're quarantined for a fortnight uh, on arrival so that they don't bring the virus with them into the community. And as you say, Victoria famously stuffed that up. What does this say about, for example, the use of private security guards at hotel quarantine? So the private security guards, the, the contracting was appalling. Uh, the supervision of the contract was appalling. The supervision of the guards was appalling. And more of this will be coming out uh, as we listen to the inquiry that's going on. But it's interesting that in New South Wales they used private security guards, but they were appropriately contracted and appropriately supervised. So we think, and uh, I think, that basically if you're going to use super, uh, private security guards, you've got to actually contract the security companies appropriately and you've got to supervise them, possibly with uh, police or possibly with Defence Force staff to make sure that the quarantine is tight. Stephen, you say you make a big point in your report about contact tracing needing to be done better in Australia and particularly in Victoria. How? So a couple of weeks ago, we had a, uh, a story in The Age about a contact tracing hub set up in Geelong. And they had a picture going along with that story about contact tracing that that hub and in the background was a whiteboard with post-it notes all over it. Now, I don't know what century you live in, Paul, but nowadays uh, one would have thought you could have a computer that actually, a database that actually helps you with contact tracing. So we were in a pen and pencil era, at least according to that photo in the age, when we should have been in the digital era. And so we've got to actually make sure our contact tracing is efficient, it's quick, and so on. And I'll just contrast New South Wales and Victoria. There's a lot of comment that New South Wales has it better and all, you know, it's got its contract tracing system much better organised. And this may be true or may not, but it's very difficult for me to tell. But what I can tell is that every week New South Wales puts up on their website, what they how quickly their contact tracing is happening, uh, and a whole lot of measures about what they're doing about contact tracing. That gives me faith that they are managing their system and managing it well. And so there's a lot of information that's in the public domain that says, yep, I can see that how quickly they're getting onto people and so on. We don't have the same detailed level of information in Victoria, which uh, makes me worried that they may not be as uh, as adept at managing and reporting the contact tracing as they are in New South Wales. Okay, and then even if we were to achieve zero, we, Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, even if we were to achieve zero active cases in the community, that's not the end of the fight, is it, Stephen? It's certainly not the end of the fight. Uh, the, you know, we'd still have to have the international quarantine until there is a vaccine. Now, that vaccine may be a uh, project for 2021, but it may never occur. So we we are still going to be at risk uh, of uh, importing uh, coronavirus if there's a breach of quarantine or if something strange happens, like something strange happened in New Zealand. And after 
a few months of zero, uh, somehow or other the virus got into that country and they had to not quite start all over again because they got onto it pretty quickly, but it was a very disappointing uh, outbreak. Stephen, you've raised the billion-dollar question of a vaccine. It, it seems to me that you, if I may say, have been a bit of a pessimist about the prospects of a vaccine, or you might say a realist, but um, others are seeming to get more hopeful. Are you more hopeful now about a vaccine? So, Paul, I think you're right. I'm a realist. I think everybody else has been an optimist. Uh, you know, back back in March... Uh, people were saying, oh, we're going to have a vaccine in six months. And we've never had a vaccine in six months in, in the past, so why would anybody would think we'd have a vaccine in six months now? I don't know. Recently, the federal government said, oh, we're going to have people vaccinated by Christmas. Well, again, that's one of those unlikely scenarios. Um, so I've been more of a realist. The newspaper hype has been amazing. If there, there are dozens and dozens of groups that are trying to uh, discover a vaccine and every one of them is issuing media releases saying they're almost there, they're going to be there tomorrow sort of thing, and the media swallows this. So I said, I'm a realist. I don't think we're going to have a single person in Australia vaccinated as part of a public vaccination campaign by Christmas. Um, whether we have something early next year is, is uh, who knows, um, the one that is first advanced, so-called, is the Oxford one, um, but they are just starting their trials in Brazil now to see whether this vaccine works and whether it works sufficiently well that it's worthwhile rolling out. Um, it's going to take a long time for that to happen, um, but uh, it, it may not prove to be a vaccine that works and works sufficiently well. So I don't. I think we've got to be careful about assuming there'll be a vaccine. So we have to be recognised we're in this for the long haul. Okay, we're in this for the long haul, which brings me to one other very big question, Stephen. You're advocating aggressive government policies to get down to zero cases of COVID-19 in the community. But there's another school of thought, which is really almost the precise opposite. And that's the idea that we should let this virus run free that the cost of restrictions is too high, that we should ultimately rely on so-called herd immunity. What's wrong with that idea, Stephen? So the letter-rip strategy, Paul, is one that uh, you, you often hear but fails for a couple of reasons. It, it, first of all, as I said, the evidence appears to be internationally that those countries with the with lower numbers of uh, COVID-related deaths, have also lower impact on their gross domestic product. Now, I've seen that in a newspaper story, in fact, in a journal called The Economist, a, a magazine called The Economist. I haven't seen a refereed paper uh, or even unrefereed paper which actually demonstrates that, but, you know, it's indicative. The second related point is that the modelling suggests in Australia that, as I've said, the more, uh, uh, if you can get the uh, virus down to zero, the infections down to zero, you'll have a, a, a lower impact on the economy than if you don't. And if you, if you just look around you, if you look to uh, Queensland, for example, I've got a, a, a person now working in the health team as a, as a casual who goes to the University of Queensland. 
And that phrasing is important. He actually goes to the University of Queensland. He goes to campus. They have opened it up. They have the two, the, the small groups going and so on. Whereas that is a long way away from Melbourne, uh, the situation we are at universities here in Victoria. So, you know, if we can get it to zero, we can safely open up without damaging the economy. But if we are not at, uh, at zero, if you open it up, you risk things going worse and you risk a big outbreak. And so we've, you know, it's worth the investment of a few extra weeks of restrictions to, to have a much more open economy. So then the, the, the final thing I'd like to say in relation to this is about 40% of the population are in groups which the Commonwealth government has identified as at higher risk. And for those 40%, there, some of that high risk is, is pretty high, you know, three times the death rate, for example, for a 30 or 35 year old person with diabetes compared to normal. So they are at serious high risk. So what are they going to do? Are they going to be condemned to be never going outside their house forever? Uh, because we're saying, yeah, you know, you have to take this risk and you, you might die. You've got a three times higher chance of dying than normal. So that's life. Uh, or are we going to say, you know, we are going to, we're going to recognize that it's a very large number, very large proportion of the population, 40% of the population who will probably self restrict anyway. And so, you know, there's got to be an impact on the economy anyway. Um, in that 40% is everybody over 70 or who typically are, tend to spend more than save. So, you know, economically it's the right thing and also socially in terms of not condemning a whole swag of people in the country to a, a much more restricted life than everybody else. So, Stephen, sum up for me and in particular give me a bit of hope, please. Uh, are you confident that, Victoria and Australia can get this right and that, say, by Christmas we'll have a safer community and a better life. So if I give you an example, so on the weekend the Premier announced the Victorian roadmap and the first, the in fact, the, fir- the second step of the roadmap was when things, when, when the number of new cases essentially are below 50. That is the situation we're in today. And it said below 50 for an average of four, for a fortnight. But if the same situation happens today as happens for the next two weeks, then we will be moving to the second step. So you can see they were on the path out of this. So if we're on the path out of it, why waste all the work we've done? Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for your expertise and for your guidance that you've provided in this important report. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you would like to read the Go for Zero report, or indeed any of Stephen's reports and articles, then head to our website, grattan.edu.au. It's all there, including our previous podcasts and webinars on the COVID crisis and a whole lot more besides. And you can start to date with all of Grattan's news and events by following us on Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. 